Welcome down to this week's episode of Paddy Talks Golf, powered by 4Golf Custom. Those folks that provide tour-level custom-fitting experiences in Killeen Castle in their beautiful zero-tolerance workshop over there. And they're sponsored someone on the PGA Tour. Over to you, Seamus. Hey, I'm Seamus Power on the PGA Tour. If you're looking for the best golf club reviews out there on YouTube, just check out the guys at 4Golf Custom. They've custom-fit my golf clubs for years, and they're the best in the business. That is literally... From the fairways of the PGA Tour, as you can hear from the background there. Seamus Power has been supported by 4Golf since he was about 14 years of age. Um, and I met himself and the caddy, Simon Keelan, Simon's some gas man, uh, brought on the JP earlier this year. And we are looking forward to getting both of you on the podcast when you're back home in Ireland soon. On this week's episode, though, is a man I know with Jesus. 2018 was when, we, was when I... Slid into the DMs. That's four years ago. We've met each other numerous times since. Played golf a couple of times. He's a busy, busy man. A serial inventor. He doesn't call himself an inventor or a designer because I think he's been a bit Irish about himself and self-degradation on those things. But Mr. McLaughlin of P2 Grips and Trident Align, you, sir, are a serial inventor, designer, an entrepreneur, um, providing and manufacturing and supplying products that are a Class 1. A1, they'd be Class 1 drugs if they were illegal, but they're fully legal and they're endorsed by many a tour player across all the tours. Um, so without further ado, it's P2 Grips, Andy McLaughlin, founder, inventor, PGA Pro, designer, marketeer, all wear the load of hats. Uh, and we'll find out what had to be first in the quick for Q&A. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Raleigh told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Where's Joe Raleigh? McLaughlin, are you ready to tee it up? Absolutely. Let's go. It's been a while. It's been, it absolutely has been a while, Paddy. I'm not sure when we last saw each other physically. Pre-COVID, anyway. We played golf in Nace with Niall McLean and Jamie, um, the young fella, Jamie, he's just got a golf scholarship, actually. He's over in Hollywood a year. Yeah, Jamie Butler. He he was like 16 or something at the time. And he went on a level par. He's like hitting laser drives, 240, 250 all day. But yeah, that was 2019, I think. We'll have to get a game, Paddy. Absolutely. I'll make the trip. I'll do the mileage this time because you did it last time. No, listen, look, I don't mind. I, don't I, can, mind. Cut across the, I can cut across the Wicko Lakes, make it down yes. that way. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I generally ask people, uh, Enda McLaughlin, what is your earliest, what is your earliest golfing memory? <laughs> golfing memory? Um, yeah, weird, but I think my earliest memories are actually more pitch and putt than, than golf. To be honest, um, we had a great pitch and putt course in, in Tullamore, and that was where I started. I can remember going from starting off using a three iron, then progressing to a five, to a six, to a seven, and eventually you get to a stage obviously we're just flicking all the way, like only 50 meters long. But I can remember progressing through the clubs. Um, I don't think I started really playing golf or focus on a property until I was like 12 or 13. But even at that stage, the one thing that sticks out is I, I played every sport when I was younger. And, and hurling was a big thing. So it was cack-handed for, for most of my pitch and putt career. I was cack-handed. And I remember my dad saying, look, if you're going to play golf, and you're, I remember he told me I'm not allowed to play golf again until I changed my grip. So changed the grip. I had no choice because I was like, you know, obviously young fellow, well, I'm not going to be able to play if I don't change. So I made the change. And that was in 12 or 13. And that's, yeah, I, in, in terms of other memories golfing-wise, a hole in one. I don't even know what age it was. I boned the three wood on the, it's now the second in Tullamore, um, the most beautiful low running three wood you've ever seen up through a bunker around the side of another bunker and down into the hole. Um, they all count. For some reason, I, well, yeah, for some reason, I remember that one as opposed to some of the other good ones I've had. How many other ones have you had then? Five. Five. Yes. Five. Yeah. When did golf become the be-all and end-all and you decided, yeah, it's for me and I'm going to do this as a job? Okay, I'd say it was probably 14 or 15. Um, 
at that yeah, I was I was mad into it. At that stage I was mad into it. And obviously Leinster under 16 teams, then you get onto some of the panels and then you're 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 doing some of the coaching and I just got more and more into it, I suppose, as as a sport. I was good at most sports, but golf was kind of the one that I excelled at as a as a young lad. I wasn't exactly built for hurling or football, had you know, in fairness. Um at that age it was a walking one iron. So um yeah, so I was a walking wood then, off. if you can oh, right. that, no, I, was the, I was the other direction. <laughs> yeah, well, I was the complete opposite. So um I didn't fill out till I was in my thirties. Um but yeah, so I what was I saying there actually lost my trail of thought there. You're a walking one iron, you weren't built for GAA, weren't built for oh, yeah, so sorry, yeah, so for yeah, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Leinster kind of under sixteens and then progressed on to Irish panels and coaching Irish coaching weekends at City West. And from probably I can remember from junior start on thinking, right, okay, PGA route was the route for me. If I don't make it as a tour pro, which was yeah, a ridiculous idea to be honest when I look back. But you know, like I still have time to develop and you know develop into a really good player. But I was a decent player, but I was never going to make it on tour. So um PGA route became the thing from junior cert because all my parents heard for the next two years after junior cert was look, I don't need a leaving cert. I just need pass maths and pass English and get my handicap in. The handicap bit was never going to be an issue, but you know, just making sure I, I scraped past my leaving cert in those two subjects, that was all I had to do. So I did that and um yeah, so I was always going to do something in golf. So yeah, I like the idea that the PGA and coaching and, and playing. I probably thought I was going to play a lot more, a lot more than I actually do or, or did. But um, yeah, no, definitely it was it was the right decision. And then PGA routes successfully achieved. And can you walk us through like maybe your feedback of the qualification through to Selling Maris Barris behind the pro shop desk. Mm, like we yes. spoke about that when we played in NASAX yeah, after why you started yeah, P2. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I moved to Wicklow from Tullamore in 2001. Uh, I did a year there before I actually entered the PGA training. So I started in 2002, fully qualified at the end of 2005, uh, took over as head pro in 2000, March 2006. And um, yeah, in, in terms of PGA, I think it's changed an, an, an awful lot since, since I qualified. I think a year, I think we were either the last year or the second last year to do the qualification as it was. After that, it became a PGA, um, a University of Birmingham qualification. So it all changed. I'm, I'm sure it probably got tougher. Um, but I think it's very, very different now. And certainly for assistants that are going into it, um, if I was given advice to assistants that are going in now, it would be just to specialize in something from the minute you start your training, try to figure out what it is that you like, whether it's custom fitting, coaching, um, whatever side of golf you're most interested in, try and specialize in that from, from the minute you start your training. Like obviously you have to do everything in terms of your training, but I think that's where it is now because the day of being a jack of all trades is, is slow. If, if that's, kind of what you're doing it's very very tough to really yeah, make agree. A, a decent living i'd agree with who i've spoken on this podcast of what you're saying and i actually looked at it um last week do you believe uh the pga i was like do you know what because i got down to 3.4 so i'm officially oh, yeah. off three uh the lowest i've ever been um so i was like what is what is the process you know like so i went out to pga and there's actually four or five different Niches you can go down to mm. become a PGA. There's um, uh, golfing studies, so the teaching mm. effectively, but also the teaching and like golf management. Yeah. There's four or five iterations of it, so I thought that was really unique. But um, yeah, I'd agree with you. Like any degree or qualification, find the bit that you just like, and then you can try and follow that um, career-wise down the road. Yeah, the PGA in the last two years has changed a lot, even in terms of of what they're what they're doing and what they're offering. Like that 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 bit where you can be now PGA coach, you can you can specialize in, in kind of golf club management or management side of things. So they are changing, I guess, with the times and there there certainly has been some big changes in the last two or three years for the better, which which is great to see. So um yeah, there's definitely a lot more options now than when I qualified. It was kind of you just went through the course and you came out and then it was a, a free for all to try and get a job. I'm not sure how much we had to do a playability test back in 
2002. And for a lot of lads, that was the toughest thing. You only get three goals, that's what I heard. I can't so remember. Now, you're asking me to throw my mind back now 20 years, <laughs> Patty. But when, when I did it, it was you, we did it in Dundalk, and you had to shoot two rounds uh, combined. It was 14 over par, was, was the cut. Now, for, for one to be professionals, 14 over par is not that difficult to achieve in two rounds of golf. But the problem is that when, when you know going out that, well, you've been able to move forward in your PGA career, you have to do this. Now, I was lucky enough. I went out and shot level par in the first round. Um, which so you'd, a bit of, you'd a bit of bandwidth for I, the, day, I, for the I, second I day. I was grand. Going out to second, I was like, look, there's just no way I'm shooting 14 over one round. Of course, it could have still happened. But I was, uh, I think, three under after 11 or 12 in the second round. And it was almost like there was just someone let the air out of me. I just, at that stage, I knew, right, I'm home and hosed here. I'm grand. And I might have maybe, I don't know, bogey two or three or four holes coming in. But it was purely just because it was right, look, job done. But there was lads who shot like nine over in the first round. And going out then knowing that you can only shoot four over, like it's, it was very, very difficult. I saw a, a lot of good players struggle the first one or two times that they did. Now, eventually they got through, but it's, it really is something that mentally is, is very, very difficult when there's a target there. But look, again, look, if you're, if you're trying to be a PGA professional, you have to be able to play to a good degree. Even when the that story reminds me of the time I played golf with my now father-in-law. <laughs> when you talk about something on your mind and having to having to get to that point in the round, and for me, it was asking him for his permission oh, <laughs> to marry okay. his daughter. Totally. Yeah, we were playing in we were playing in uh, Beaufort, and it was a great day, like weather-wise. And he was in top form. He'd only playing. I introduced him to the game a few years previous, and uh, the whole way around. Oh, when will I ask him? I can't ask him too early. Because it could really change the mood, and you know yeah. we get on, but like it's yeah. just on, it's in your yeah, brain. So I think I I was bogey, double bogey all all bloody day. And the seventeenth walked the seventeenth fairway. I asked him, <laughs> and then and then I went birdie birdie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that's the yeah. plan, isn't it? Anyway, so <laughs> I was wondering why the you, first. Yeah, I was wondering why you were a bit off today. <laughs> Pressure, nerves. Yeah, the second question I generally ask people. There is a couple of predefined questions in this mm -hmm. podcast, you know. I don't know if okay. you ever realize that. What was the compelling event for to become a serial inventor that you are now? So P2 Ooh. grips, when, what was the compelling event that you said, yeah. I, I'm fed up with Mars bars or selling them or Twixes or whatever, and this is the line I want to go in? It was kind of a freak accident, really. Um, I think it was it was roughly August 2004 so I was a still, a still an assistant and I got a new Scotty Cameron putter and the Scotty Camerons back then had a very kind of a thin rubbery grip and I'd been used to using I think the, do you remember a brand called Caracal or Caracal I'm not sure uh, yeah they were on tennis softer. rackets and on me hurls yeah. yeah yeah well they did some golf grips back then as well and I was used to one of them which was probably more mid-size um different materials so I went back, I was down the back of the pro shop and I was basically just putting a grip on top of the Scotty Cameron grip, trying to look at well, what one looks best. You know, I was at that age where I've just got a new Scotty. It has to look good. So you can't just throw any grip on it. So I put the grip on top and I was like, actually, that's quite comfortable because an issue I always had was I would always grip my putter the same way I grip my clubs. So two thumbs slightly over, crossed over, so not straight down the center, slightly crossed over. And any time I tried to correct it, I always just felt so awkward. So I'd slip back into old habits. But when I stuck the two grips on top of each other, it just felt weirdly comfortable. So out the brain, parcel tape, parcel them up together. There was still a little bit of movement. So I stuck a bit of glue in between them. And it was just a weird concoction of a grip. Um, so I didn't do anything with it for, I looked into kind of patterns and stuff like that. And like, I'm my insistent, like, no money. So patterns scream you know, you need money to do something like this, even for basic stuff. So I didn't do anything with it until 2009, but it was at that stage, I'd kind of had a lot of time to think about it and write, okay, what are the benefits of this style of grip if I was to get it manufactured properly? Um, and that was kind of how I stumbled into it. But yeah, in terms of, I, I loved what I did in terms of PJ Pro at a club, 
loved the shop, loved the shop life, loved the coaching. I just fell out of love with being at a club because it's it's a difficult environment when you're there so long. And I think it could probably this I would echo the sentiments of a lot of pros who would tell you if you, you get to a stage where there's kind of no line in the sand anymore. And um I guess you become too familiar with people and they become too familiar with you. And sometimes that's not a good thing. So I started to see in probably 2011 that right, okay, actually this what I thought I wanted to do for the rest of my life actually wasn't. I would I'd probably have packed up if I stayed at a club for, for too long. Uh, but that's being completely honest. Um, so I guess maybe it was influenced by the fact that I, I had this other route to go down and um, so started it with, with P2 and I would say I probably had a failed attempt to start with. Obviously, we got, we got Padraig Harrington using it uh, January 2012, I think that was, and he used it for a few months and then he stopped using it and then I found out after the reason he stopped using it because he changed butters in America. And he actually didn't have another one to put on, so he put on something else, and that was that was the end of that story. But um, but yeah, I learned a lot of lessons over the next couple of years, kind of 2013, 14, as to I guess in a lot of ways how naive I was. I thought, well, because I'm in the golf industry and I have contacts, I can get this done. Um, but yeah, it was much, much tougher than I ever anticipated. Plus, the factory, when I ordered the first batch of grips, it was like I had to order five thousand. I asked about doing different colors and they were like, no, 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 one color it has to be one color. So I did black and white. And then I remember a year or two later going back to, to look at order more. And all of a sudden they were able to do, you know, 1000 black and yellow, black and red. And I'm like, that would have made that what it would have made a difference because obviously you're selling one color wasn't, you know, the way the golf is people like different colors and different options and stuff. But yeah, so yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of lessons learned in that kind of two or three year period before we relaunched in 2016 at the PGA show. So that was, yeah, I guess that was the proper start of things from there on. What was the biggest thing you learned then? If you were to go that, if I had known that one thing, whether about finding a manufacturer or relationships with a manufacturer or anything like that, would you maybe pass on to someone who's listening now? Who? Oh, I, I, yeah, I think if I was to pass on anything, it'd be try and find before you start, try and find someone who does something similar or just has experience in terms of dealing with China and manufacturers there. Like we're very lucky now. We have good relationships with, with manufacturers and agents over there and people that we, we very, very much trust to represent us over there in terms of negotiating with factories and stuff like that. But um like the thing about it is when when you don't have experience in something you don't have experience it's like you can you can talk to people absolutely but sometimes you just have to suck it up and 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 see and walk through it as as you go along and yeah i learned I, i've learned a lot i know a lot more now than i did five six years ago but if you were to ask me i'd probably tell you i still know very little but that's just because i i suppose i don't feel i'm, I'm qualified in you know, I'm a PJ professional, I'm not a qualified designer, I'm not, um, you know, not qualified in graphic design or anything like that. So at, at times I have imposter syndrome. But, uh, well, no, look, we've, we've done a good job, I think. Um, there's still lots more to do, but it's it's an interesting route. But yeah, I said, look, that was 2016, we relaunched. Um, and again, just have been learning ever since. But yeah, get, getting out of the golf club and getting away from from that was, was definitely not a move that that I regret. It was time for me to go. It was time for the club to move on as well. Um, I think you can sometimes stay in the one place too long. I'm still still living in Wicklow, but just not the club anymore. No, like even like before 2016, might have been 2000, yeah, about that time, 15, 16. I had heard of P2, but it was really that year. It was mm. kind of very, very visible. And I would say since then, reasonable success, especially on like in terms of visibility and professional golfers using them. I don't know if that's a um, a route to market for you, but like LPGA Tour seems mm. to be quite successful in getting it into the hands of um, professional golfers. Yeah, obviously the biggest one we had was, it's not say the biggest win we had was Michelle Wee. Michelle Wee used this. She won in Singapore using this. Uh, we've got Jody Ewart. We've had Stacey Lewis. Um, 
there, there's a few more there. The, the problem at times with, with the tour events is that we don't have a representative out on tour. We supply the, the, the tour truck that looks after the LPGA, a guy called Paul. But we can't be hounding Paul every week going, who's using the grips? Come on, who'd you fit one for? Um, so we, we probably have more players on the LPGA use it, but we, we don't have a, an up-to-date list. The, the tour is a strange one. And that's something that I've learned over the few years because people will always say to you, like, well, who's using it on tour? And obviously they mean PJ Tour, European Tour. We, I didn't design P2 grips for tour players. Now, people might say, oh, that's a cop it, It's the truth. I didn't design it for, for PJ Pros. Those guys are pretty good in terms of, I designed P2 because obviously it helps stabilize wrists. Like, you know, you use one. Um, it's the limit mobility. These guys are... You know, they're there for a reason. They don't have the same struggles that you and I have when it comes to putting and controlling the butterface. But also, uh, the tour is, is difficult when you're this far away. Like, let's talk about the PGA Tour. To, to get a rep on tour and to basically pay them every month, um, a lot of the tour trucks have much longer established relationships with Superstroke, with Golf Pride, with Lampkin. And it takes a long time to try and get in and find someone who will I suppose give you give you a chance so for for a long time that was kind of yeah I need to, yeah, I need to get in the PJ tour I need to get in. and then I was actually no I, I I don't I that would be nice and I believe in time it will happen you meet someone who and we have things going on behind the scenes that are, are working towards that but it it was like well no I, I designed P2 to help amateurs average golfers and i include myself in average golfer um that's what i set out so i was like well that's what i want to concentrate on so it's getting grips to those people rather than just because you can get wrapped up on just trying to get it onto tour and it costs a lot of money you can spend a lot of money trying to get it there rather than spending money on what you should be spending money on which is trying to make sure that the grips are visible to the people who actually will buy the grip and will find the biggest benefit in it so, I agree. And, and I was thinking there, there's an analogy. <laughs> if you look back far enough on my LinkedIn, you'll find that I didn't, I didn't spend too much time anywhere. I spent like mm. a couple of years here, a couple of years there. Mm. But one place was Dupuy, polishing, polishing orthopedic knees. I mean, it's good. It's during college. Lovely. But uh, the analogy was the, when you talk about who your customer was and where you wanted your visibility, they were not really advertising to the end user to mm. you know yeah. my granddad or granddad their their customer was the surgeons yes I'm like yeah. your pga pro is your surgeon mm -hmm. right yeah uh, or your custom fitter and, and they're the people that are advocates for it you're going to come in oh, i need a new knee doc mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Go, oh here have a have a Dupuy, have a johnson johnson one mm -hmm. you know yeah um so that's that's what made me think of there and you're like i don't need to be on PGA Tour, you know, it's it's it, down to the kind of the the grassroots of the game I need to be, maybe. It would be nice to do both. But I think um, I mentioned before we started recording earlier that like it just I view this as very much a long term project. You know, you can go back Look, you. You're a fan of audiobooks. I'm I'm the same. Um, you can pick out a few guys and you go back and you, you listen to the story. I'm not sure. You probably listen to Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. Oh, the first one. Like, first one. You, like <laughs> you like listen annual, to his an story. annual listen, man. That, that, his, his story made me feel so much better because it was like, wow, that's how many times Nike was on its knees in trying to succeed. And that's how long it took and grind basically to get there. So it was like, right, okay, now look. You're not saying, not yeah. saying the P2 million are going to be Nike, yeah. but, but um, just do it. Just but do just it the then. story. But like, if you yeah. if you go back, you listen to any of the guys, James Dyson, Walt Disney, any of those stories. Um, can't even name offhand, but Coca Cola guy. Um, like, you listen to any of those stories. They weren't overnight successes. I think that's at times what people are kind of used to thinking that well, you know, it's not a good product if it's not successful really, really quickly. Sometimes you have to have a product that just hangs in there for long enough and i think that's probably if anything over the last five or six years that's probably what i'm most proud of is that we've actually just hung in there through through covid through everything we've continued to to grow our revenue has increased every year and and at times that's been difficult but we still have 
so much to go in terms of the reach and getting out there. And well, as I said, not not been kind of flippant and saying, well, tour is important. Tour is hugely important. Of course, I would like to see Griffith Hughes on tour, European PGA, Corn Ferry. And we've had we've had some some stuff going on in terms of Corn Ferry. That's um, yeah, with 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 a manufacturer, which is pretty cool. But that's in its infancy, and hopefully next year there'll be a bit more news on that one. Uh, I always like good news. I was just thinking there, you should you should maybe hit pull out a report of strokes gained and anyone who's like negative in the putting stats, mm. just send them back flyer. Send them. <laughs> <laughs> just get, you know? just get it out there. I'll try and dial into Trackman or Sam Putt Labs uh, databases and see who's who's open or closed or upright yeah. or down. <laughs> that would be yeah, that'd be that'd be easy. But yeah, no, look, it's it's just I guess in, in a nutshell, it's difficult to get on tour. Because at the end of the day, it's the tour trucks that look after the players. It's the tour trucks, I guess, that you have to kind of win over as to this is what it could do for this player. And they have to be open to to taking it on and putting it on the trucks. So, um, yeah, once it goes on the trucks, then it's just wait and see. You said, uh, I think just around the time we played, that you had something in the works. And you said, I, I thought I'd never do it again. Like the patent yeah. thing. And then yeah. you went and you did it again. I did. I did. I did. I remember, yeah, honestly, I I, I, I swore that I'd, I'd never get in the patent do it again. And then, um, yeah, then in 2019, I went and did it again. Um, but look, the idea was good enough that I guess it, com- it comes back to that. I tried to line the idea was, yeah, I couldn't look. I couldn't believe it hadn't been done before. Um, so yeah, so I went down down the route with that. Um, like I'll always always look at something as well. First of all, first and foremost, from from a player as someone who loves the game, loves to play, is this something that is useful? Um, then obviously as a coach, is it something that I could stand on a putting green and try and convince someone of? Uh, as a retailer, is it, is there a story behind this that I can get behind and explain it to someone? And then obviously as a designer, um, I choose design the word designer. Paddy over inventor. Inventor is not a word that I that sits comfortably with me. Uh, inventor. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, but yeah, reinventor if anything, but not certainly not inventor. That's that's put me on a, a lofty pedestal that's not deserved. So um, I need it for the clickbait. We'll do that. Oh, that's okay. That's that's fine. You use what you want, but uh, but it's um yeah, it was it was an interesting one. Again, it it formed over over a period of time the idea for that. So. Uh, but yeah, look, we got, got stuck in. But the, the only difference this time was when I went back in to do it, I was well armed from the first experience. So like one, one example I'll give, I'll give you one example. We, we were sitting with our patent attorneys and they asked if, if they wanted us to, or if they were to do a search, which basically means they go and see if there's anything like that out there. Now the search costs 800 quid plus VAT. And I just said to him, I just smiled. I just said, no, you're all right, thanks. And he kind of looked at me kind of quizzically and he was like, you know, and I said, no. I said, because the search means nothing. Um, because it's only when you start to actually push through the patent, there will always be products that come out of the woodwork and they will find it at that stage. So us paying to have a search done, it's just money out the window. It means absolutely nothing. So stuff like that, I guess, is, is the the bits and pieces i've had one or two people over the last few ring me about kind of patents and experience and stuff and that's the one thing i've always said to them don't bother with a search doesn't doesn't matter just if you think just go ahead because there'll always if you google hard enough you'll find it yourself that that, that, that too yeah absolutely (laughs) but look um but yeah he he smiled our patent attorney just he smiled and looked he says okay he says you've learned a thing or two i was like yeah absolutely so you do learn from going through it so I, i i was definitely better armed going into the patterns would try and align. Oh, deadly. So in terms of like the, the next step forward for both brands, you said before we start recording that, you know, you really see kind of the the North Star kind of in five years time is where you want to get to. Yeah. Without without telling any surprises or releasing any competitive market information. <laughs> what's <laughs> what's the where is that mecca place for you and for P2 and Trident Line? Um, for me, oh, I don't know. I see. I I don't know how far I can 
a week to take it. Um, is it a case that in five years' time, it's like, look, you know, this is this is cool. We just need to keep going, just keep doing what we're doing. This is fantastic. Or is it a case where maybe someone comes in and makes an offer to buy one of the brands who can maybe take it on and 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 do more with it? And that's something I think that people often are surprised to hear that I, I would be willing to sell a brand at some stage. And I was like, well, why, why wouldn't I? It's not, I'm not overprotective about them. Obviously, I'm protective about our brands and our products. But if there's someone out there that I feel can take them on and get them in front of more people and help more people, that's ultimately the end goal. Um, because that's that's what it's about. I'm not I'm not really motivated by money, Paddy, to be honest. It's more so trying to get I guess that's why I stepped out from behind the counter with the golf club, because I felt that well, I can't I can't reach as many people here doing this every day. Whereas I can get out, do something something different and, and once I focus on this get it out to more people so um yeah it's I guess for me it's five years time is, is kind of the goal to to work towards but what's at the end of that five years I don't exactly know um a bigger product portfolio portfolio in uh, both brands for Trident and P2 and yeah look all you can do is just one day at a time it sounds it sounds corny and it sounds sure you're on but you don't always see you can't see things from the outside when you're in the, the eye of the storm. You can you just see days where days where you feel like you're going backwards, days where you feel like it's it's tougher and you're not getting anywhere. But um, but sometimes you have to just step back and go, actually, do you know what? We've come a long way in five six years. Just need to to keep doing what we're doing. And look, we've got some exciting stuff coming up for um certainly for twenty twenty three in terms of products, but also a couple of other things that will certainly help the business. So um yeah, I can't give away too much unfortunately, but uh, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, don't keep them tight to your chest and maybe it can be released when Santa comes or in the new year or yeah. whenever it's right for, yeah. for you in the business. Absolutely. I'd be the yeah, I'd be the look, first it, person it, here with my big, you know, yeah. cardboard sign for you. Look, in terms of in terms of products, like obviously there's there's some new products coming out. We've with two new grips to be out next year. Um one of them is, is kind of different. Um and then trying the line, we've we've got we've got a pudding mat, we've got pudding gates. It's like trying to line is very much playing aid slash training aid focused. Um, and that's what we've kind of pigeonholed ourselves now as short game specific. We're not trying to do like, okay, we might do hats or bits and pieces at some stage, but my intention is just very much stay in our lane and kind of know where, where you are and what you're doing and where your focus should be. So if we start bringing in golf bags and, and stuff like that, it's, like, well, it's not, and, and look, that's no disrespect to people who, who do diversify and bring out different, but I just want to stay laser focused on short game specific products. And some of them will be new designs, maybe something that hasn't been done before. Some will be a slightly redesign of something that is out there. But uh, you can't always reinvent every product that's out there. But at the same time, like like pudding gates, obviously we're going to introduce pudding gates, but pudding gate is a pudding gate. Like I can't, I can't really change it that much to make it and um yeah so it, I, I think in the past i might have stayed away from bringing out something that's already out there but I, yeah well we've we've got a lot of people that are behind both brands who i think would support whatever we bring if they don't have something if they don't have pudding gates or they're, they're looking for a slightly better pudding mat um with a difference little difference um so look hopefully they will be out if not by christmas early early 2023 Oh, lovely. That's a nice little, nice little uh, win for me, getting mm -hmm. that information. But um, we, you mentioned a few people there, you know, um, Phil Knight and um, Mr. Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. Is there other brands that you go, yeah, they've done a good job. Um, I'd love to you know, follow that same growth profile, you know, or where they are in the market in terms of brand recognition. Is there anyone that's out there like, not, not even in golf, you know, like yeah. for, for me, in terms of people, work rate Wahlberg, like whatever about yeah. getting up at four o'clock, but like oh, look yeah, at his yeah. look at his business portfolio. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. I mean, is there anyone out there that you're like, yeah, anything they put out, I'm that I I love to read about it. I, I look, I think it's 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 different. Like obviously you mentioned Mark Wahlberg and and some of the brands and stuff that he has, and I think I think building brands obviously is is easier when there's someone like him 
and you've got his sort of influence and you've got his sort and cash of flow. friends. <laughs> and exactly, and cash is, a, cash is a massive thing because we've never taken on investment, um, outside investment, which at times I've kind of looked and went, Ooh, should we, should we consider it? Um, well, the problem is if you take on investment too early in the business, people can, like a dragon's den, everyone's seen dragon's den. Someone goes in with a great idea and then one guy says, I want 50%, I want 40%. And sometimes you need to just establish the business to where a point where it's like, well, look, the investment will be great, but we don't have to have it. So if you want to invest, we're going to make you this offer. Um, I don't know the lads. I think Jim Plus Coffee's story is, uh, is very interesting. You know, three guys, and, but they've had phenomenal growth in what three two years three four years four yeah years. they started off like a farmer's market selling a hoodie yeah <laughs> yeah in, in red wines yeah. or somewhere <laughs> well, a again, phenomenal story but that that's the thing and that's sometimes where you just need things to fall in place obviously you've got isn't it three guys three guys behind three us who kind, founders, of, yeah, kind yeah. of yeah kind of different skill sets and um a motivated team i think that's that's hugely important then obviously we got, I think, was it Brian Driscoll came on board as, as kind of an ambassador. And then I think Niall Horn invested last year. And yeah. um, I saw him on the Late Late Show, not Niall Horn, the, one of the guys behind Jim Plus Coffee, um, on the Late Late Show last year. And he was, I think they were going to turn over 20 million last year, like, which is, yeah. So look, there's, there's plenty of guys like that. There's brands out there that you look and go, hey, how have you done that in three years? But the way I look at it is that's just not my story. You know, and you can only just focus on what you're doing and, and, and hope you get to that stage. But look, there are plenty of brands out there that are doing great. Obviously, good friends of yours, Druids. Druids have a very interesting business model. Um, it changed it massively about three years ago. They, they yeah. completely changed route to market, yeah. which was interesting. But as a business, they're all the better for it. But mm. They've gone complete e-commerce, really. Um, yeah. I was speaking to, to Kevin the other day, actually, and... Uh, yeah, the, for him and managing the business, um, it's much, there's much less friction involved. Yeah. In terms of you know orders in, boxes out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's a, look, e-commerce is is much it's much simpler. The I guess where it comes becomes more difficult in terms of retail is if you're struggling to get paid. That's that's the difficult. That was the bit he said. That was the bit. It was like yeah. Yeah. Uh, lines of credit and then people not paying. It's yeah. It's difficult. Um, look, we're we're lucky in terms of like pretty much all our customers are set up on on direct debit um so we have a good relationship with with anyone that we deal with but um but i think that's the other side because we are a small business and we've kind of grown from you know much much smaller but we're i feel we're kind of growing at a pace that we feel comfortable with um obviously it always like to grow a little bit faster but at the same time there's a problem with growing too fast as well you can outrate you can outrace your cash flow and land yourself in a position where you've you're maybe out of stock on something for for ages. And I think we've managed ourselves quite nicely over the last couple of years, especially in terms of of COVID and uh, like everyone knows the issues with shipping and, and manufacturing and getting stuff out of of China. And luckily, we've managed to navigate our way through that quite quite nicely. Um, we haven't if we've been out of stock and anything it hasn't been for too long. So look, we um. Yeah, just just keep plugging away. I think that's 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 the only thing I'd say. I think the Jim Plus Coffee experience there's there's not too many of those type of experience where you get the growth so quickly. And and there is obviously a few who can become the, the whole overnight success thing. But generally, the overnight success takes takes time. Takes people decades. just don't see it. it just, <laughs> people people just don't, just don't see, see it. it. You know, it's just all of a sudden you're there and it's it's successful. But yeah, not everyone is aware of the backstory behind these brands. Absolutely. So, uh, we were drawing lines with Nike here in terms of we're we're running the mill, and then mm. Michael mm. Jordan come along. I saw it on Instagram last night, uh, some business page I follow, and it was in nineteen eighty four. Michael Jordan signed a deal that he'd hopefully sell three point four million dollars of Jordan over five years. In twenty twenty two, Nike mm. sell three point four million of Jordan every five minutes. Yeah. I saw something that, yeah, I saw that stuff before. What what the actual brand alone, the Jordan brand, was worth every five minutes. Like it's just yeah, it's crazy yeah, stuff. It's biblical. What do you do for fun? Because they say, uh, you know, when you've done your nine to five or maybe it's a PGA Pro seven to six or seven to seven, 
And then when you leave and do, you know, do a job that you love, it actually turns mm. into 24-7. So what do you do for fun? And yeah. Um, that's been funny lately, Paddy, over the last few years, to be quite honest. Zoom calls. Um, a lot of Zoom calls. Like as you just said, it's, it's difficult when people think it's great working for yourself. People honestly think that it's fantastic. I can tell you, it's, there's parts of it that are, and there's parts of it that really aren't. You know, because once you work for yourself, you never switch off. You're, you're always in your head thinking of something. Um, but in terms, I've, I've this year tried to get back into playing more golf. Um, just casual, just happy just to get out with my dad or any excuse to just go and play somewhere. Don't particularly care if I have a card in my pocket. I haven't played a pro-am in, in the last pro-am I played was 2019 in Tullamore. And, and even that was an NR after the second hole. Oh, still makes me laugh like the last pro you have and it was I hadn't played even at that stage I hadn't played in like three years or something and lost the ball off the second shot in the second hole until the, oh sorry on the par five we started on the 14 which is index one which is never nice to start on then the second hole par five hat went up the left ball gone and I was just like ah look I'm not going to hold up play it wasn't like it was playing competitively enough I wasn't worried I was out with my dad my brother my business partner so it was just like look just going to enjoy and, and yeah. relax and mm-hmm. um actually that was the first day I tried the trying to line ball marker on the course so it was more I was more interested in just being able to just test that without any worry about the scorecard so it was actually a blessing I don't think I've ever entered but certainly it was a lot of years before I've entered but um no, I'm trying to get back playing a little bit more. Obviously, I've got two kids. I've got a nine-year-old. I've got a it'll be two now in November. Um, so when I'm not working, which does take up a lot of time, uh, it's it's kind of trying to obviously fit in family and then trying to play a bit of golf. Gym. That's the only I would say outlet that I have is at the moment gym and trying to get back. Playing. I have intentions next year, PGA region 2023. Get back, keep that, stay bit. low, stay low on the high. No, sometimes, sometimes you have to say it, buddy. Sometimes it's to say it out loud. That look, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Verbalize it, verbalize it, verbalize it, verbalize it. My wife well, is sick of me verbalizing stuff, but if you yeah. don't verbalize it, you got it. You got, yeah, you well, got that's, that's the plan. That's the, the thought is to get back playing a little bit, and um, yeah, because I feel business is kind of at a point where I need to just take a little bit of time aside as well and just play a bit. and but yeah, you kind of you suddenly realise you're not getting any younger, and like it was actually scary. I I played a pro am uh, like June twenty fifteen, and then long story short, I had an assistant finish up. I was on my own a pro shop. I had a couple of part timers that I had to train up. So I said the next pro am I played was was uh, September twenty nineteen until more, and then I went nearly two years. Obviously with COVID, we launched Trident. Uh, November, December 2019. Then we went into COVID. And then 2021 was kind of, I suppose, was what it was. But I, I nearly went two years without playing, without setting foot in the course, which yes. was, yeah, um, August 2021. I played, and it was 23 months since I'd last played until more. It was weird. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't pick up a club. I always have a club in my hand. Like, if I'm on the phone to someone, I'm always bringing a club. I've got a putter or something. So it's not like... But I'm not a member anywhere. I think that's the other problem. You know, when you've got mates that are members in, in clubs, you can't just say, well, listen, look, I'll come and play with you as well. Because obviously if a professional playing with an amateur, you get, you know, one guy finishing the prize and then someone says, oh, well, they were playing with a professional. He should be disqualified. <laughs> he was coaching them as he went around. Now, he might not offer any tips whatsoever. But so um, that kind of limits the golf as well. So it's either trying to actively arrange golf with my mates or or with my dad so I'm trying to play every kind of three weeks four weeks and my dad are trying to arrange a, a Monday game somewhere so if we're up your neck of the woods we'll give you a shout if you can slow I made a new rule I made a new rule this year in uh, January and it's a new resolution I've pretty much kept all year I said for me so like busy job where you're held accountable believe it or not folks I work this is not my full time <laughs> gig I don't live in a golf course I could ask you the other day uh uh I get asked all the time, but I got asked the other day, uh, how much, you, how much, how much do you make with the golf stuff? I was like, it's a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, my new resolution was I'm, once a week, minimum nine holes, okay. minimum nine holes. And I just time block in my calendar and it's either before work or at 3 PM tea time to allow for nighttime. And 
especially with work from home in my line of work, it's doable because I can do the admin after Sophie's gone to sleep for yeah. an hour and a half while she's watching Netflix or something. So I can get yeah. a portion work done later on. And I've pretty much kept that. Either yeah. it's out hitting balls for an hour or chipping green for, and I'm, I'm spoiled because I'm over the wall from a course. So yeah. I guess I can walk there. So it's not like it's 20 minutes to get somewhere. But mm-hmm. um, that led me on to, only a couple of weeks ago, I started a private Facebook group, not a WhatsApp group. Everybody's in loads of mm-hmm. WhatsApp groups and I've most of my muted at this stage beyond scratch. And it's exactly what you described there, lads and ladies of a decent handicap. There's a few high ones in there, but for the main part, it's quite, quite low handicaps, which wasn't mm-hmm. the device. It was mainly a group of people like me. I wanted to organize games, uh, be competitive, you know, play some on-course performance stuff. Um, so I think you might enjoy that. If you wanna, yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Cause, um, yeah, look, I'm kind of at the moment, I'm excited kind of to try and go back to so play a bit of golf this year. And I played quite nicely despite having not really practiced much. Um, I've played quite nicely and I'm kind of going, actually, you know what? I should get my hand back in at this. Um, honestly, uh, shameless, shameless pot of plug, um, Tried the line has helped me massively. Now I know, of course, I've designed it. I'm going to say that, but genuinely, I didn't realize how much of an aim bias I had in the green. So if you put me on a dead straight putt from say 12 foot, I will aim right. I don't realize how much right I'm aiming. So I started using Trident, and since I have no difference really in my game, other than I'm actually holding a few putts from kind of 10, 15, 20 foot for for birdies. Um, I think since the start of the year, since what I've played, I've averaged between four and five birdies around, which is closer to five, I think, now at this stage. But I don't think I've averaged five birdies in a round for even going back to when I was playing as much as I possibly could. And and the only difference is I'm actually starting putts online. I would never have said it was a bad putt. I, I hold it well from kind of four or five feet. I wouldn't tend to three putt much, but I didn't realize just how much right, further right I aimed than I. I think, and again, it's to do with your eye dominance and your aim bias. I won't bore your listeners with. Yeah, don't worry should. about that. This is why Maybe a lot of people listen. This is why a lot of people but, listen. Um, it's for this stuff. But in, in terms of, I guess, Trident and for anyone who hasn't seen it, I, I designed it because I always liked the idea of using a line on the golf ball. Um, now, appreciate a line the golf ball isn't for everyone, but I always liked the idea of using a line. And then I stand over the line, I look down, and I thought that's not right. It's aimed too far left. That was how it always appeared to me. It always appeared that it was aimed too far left, even though I've set it up and I know it's aimed three foot right. To me, it looks like the line's going straight as a hole. So back in 2013, I was lucky enough to spend some time with Dr. Paul Hurrian over in the UK. And he was the first one who, excuse the pun, opened my eyes to an aim bias. So he set up basically the object ball that I would hit. He put one in the middle and then he had the hole. And I didn't get to see him set it up. He just said, look, turn around. So I turned around. So I set up then and he said, the ball in the middle, he said, uh, is it in line with your object ball and the hole? And I was like, no, it's too far left. So he said, okay, go and move it to where you think it needs to move. So I went down and moved it like, I don't know, half an inch to the right or an inch. Went back, stood over the golf ball. He said, is everything in line now? I said, yeah. So I got out then the laser line and he shone a line through the object ball. I was standing there to the hole. I had moved the ball to the right off the center line. So he proved, well, on any given foot on the course, you're actually aiming, or you want to aim further right than you actually need to. So I saw a straight putt has been maybe, depending on how far back you go, um, could be just inside right edge, could be outside right edge. The further I go, the further right that I tend to aim. But um, so I guess Trident, the idea for Trident then came from, I always hated having to rush when it came my turn to put, to use the line, put the ball down, go back, have a look, adjust it go back have a look again adjust it and then you just feel rushed and then you stand over it and the line doesn't look right and you go ah this isn't right i'm not going to be the guy that pulls out the marker again and marks it and starts fiddling i'm not pga tour just get on with it but you maybe open the face a little bit to aim for it and straight away you're standing over the put down with doubt in your head because you're like well i don't feel this is aimed properly i'm having to open the putter face or aim a little bit further right um so that was where the idea of trident came from a ball marker that you could actually put down, mark your ball, pick up your ball, and then as you start the process of reading the green, you can actually start to adjust the ball marker. You're now it's fully legal, 
So the, for anyone that's listened, it's, it's designed in two parts. There's a top part and a bottom, a bottom part and the base stays in the same position as the marked position of the golf ball. The top bit moves left and right. Um, and then obviously we have the stencil on the golf ball, which I'm not going to even try and explain, Paddy. Um, but when you combine the golf ball with the ball marker, it makes sure that the line on the golf ball is perfectly positioned at 90 degrees or pointing up towards the sky. And the reason that that is important is because if you tilt the line on the golf ball one degree, one way or the other, uh, it's now aimed outside the hole, the same way as if you close your putter face one degree or open it. So um, once I started to to use that for me, like we've, we've got a lot of customers. Again, I, I don't try and say, look, try this for everyone. You have to be open to a slightly different routine because normally most people get to the green, mark the golf ball, have a quick look, and then they just stand back and rest their hand on the putter until it's their, their turn to put. With Trident, you, during that kind of downtime, you're actually adjusting your putter to your start line or you're adjusting the ball marker to your start line. Um, but honestly, the difference for me has been huge. Um, even if it wasn't my design, I'd still use it. So. It's gas because I use it a different way. I use the the stencil to put the lines mm -hmm. on the ball. I mark the perpendicular line. Okay. That's where I line my putter face up with. Okay. So I line the ball marker up mm -hmm. and I set my line perpendicular because then when I bring my putter into play, I tend to have it a bit open at a dress and I miss everything right. Okay. Thanks to Sam Putt Lab. So thanks to your stencil and ball marker now, I can start. I'm always square to the line. Okay. That's how I use Perfect. it. So, and that was playing around with it a little bit. Had a few dud balls, non-competition mm -hmm. balls to test out what way it works for me to get the most use out of it. And same as, and it's, it's turned into a nice little ad, but, but absolutely. And I, I practiced on the putt mat at home, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it, look, certainly this isn't meant to be an ad. It's, it's about brands that, that we work with, but at the end of the day, the only reason I've designed both of them is because I, I feel that they help people and, and they're designed from a coaching perspective as someone who's, who's given, I don't know how many putting lessons over the years. And seeing the amount of people who who actually, the amount of people that came to me over the years and be just chatting them at the start and they go, I can't read putts, and you're like, okay, and you get into the lesson and you get them to start hitting putts and you ask them what the ball is going to do and they tell you what way they're reading it, and then they maybe misses three or four inches right, and they're like, see, I can't read greens, and well, actually, you can read greens. The ball did what you thought it was going to do. The problem is you're not aimed at the start line that you had initially picked your aimed either further right or further left of it so the now again not ruling out speed because i'm sure there'll be people screaming at it going yeah but trident line is all about aim yes it is there's other aspects obviously there's read and there's pace so you have to get them all right we, we're not saying the trident solves everything but the vast majority of people struggle with just setup and their eye position so like what what, what changes someone's aim bias or their perception of where they're aimed is eye position now anyone that tells you oh you have to have your eyes directly over the ball that's just not true um any magazine i see it in i find it is just it's just lazy journalism to say that every you have to have your eyes directly over the ball because that's not where everyone sees best from some people see best from their their eyes half an inch an inch even two inches inside the ball generally there's not too many people who see the line better from outside the ball outside the line but um, if you get your eyes in the right position, there's so many things that can change your perception, your, how much you bend over, how much you, uh, how tall you stand, what way you tilt your head, whether you tilt your head, but your, your face more parallel to the ground, or you hold your head up a little bit, like Jordan Speed tilts his head to the right. You know, all of this stuff changes how you see your start line and your ability to aim at it. Even your putter length, the distance you stand away from it. There's so many, so many factors that can, can mess with your perception of where you're actually aimed. Yeah, like I see tried the line is it's it's doing its best to eliminate one variable. One. Which is yeah. one of the three. So line, speed and pace. Line and yeah. Or oh, sorry, so, uh, yeah, read. Um read, yeah, read line and pace. Yeah. So it's yeah. trying to eliminate the variability of line that you've got that one nailed down because it yeah. is two. And after that it's down to kind of me. <laughs> yeah. Well look if you no. if you get your read right and you're confident with your read. The next thing you need to be able to do, obviously, is make sure you're aimed at that start line, right? You get that start line from there. Then all I have to do when I stand over puts now is just think speed. 
and just make sure it gets speed. And if you're a decent speed putter, it will definitely, definitely, definitely improve your voice. What's the what's the trident line tagline? Um, read it, aim it, hold it. There we go. Yeah, I might use that so, as the episode title. How's that? Read it, aim it, hold yeah, it. Listen, look, you, it's your, it's your, it's your baby, Paddy. You, <laughs> you can use whatever you want. Come here You're to driving me. Driving this bus. <laughs> These are the most important questions. Then the McLaughlin P two grips. Try the line. Quick fire Q and A time. Are you ready? Okay, far away. Let's go. What would your walk on song be on your next pro am? Next pro am. Thought about this one. I think U two's magnificent. I'll always like the start of that song. It's a, it's a really good build up to get you going i tell you something the play talks golf walk on song playlist is there's serious bangers on that now especially with that one added onto the list we haven't had it before uh gym or pizza gym hat advisor or bucket hat i'm gonna go hat or visor happy gilmore or tin cup happy gilmore walk or cart walk win the open or win the masters Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to go Masters. I don't have an issue with that. Because you might only get there once. But you can always always try to qualify for the Open. You can always go back and there's the dinner and, yeah, just Augusta's like, yeah, I'm going to go Augusta. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Instagram and the Masters are two completely different places. (laughs) Um, Play or practice? I'm going to say play. I think a few years ago it would have been practice, but now it's play. Lovely. Bonus question. Scenario question. We'll say the scenario is uh, after we've got new product launched next year. They've gone straight to number one in all their respective lists. And you're planning dinner to celebrate. And you can have whatever six people you like. You're at the top of the table. And you've three people down the left. Three people down the right. You've spoken to a lot of people we look up to already in this episode. Who makes the cut? Um, uh, see, it depends on where you want to look at that, buddy. Is to if you're asking me the most important people that I would want there to celebrate, let's say, success. Yeah, um, go with that it's, one. It's, it's, it, it ain't going to be any of those people we talked about. It's going to be my fiance Tara, it's going to be my parents, um, my business partner, Sushil, and one more person. I'm not going to be corny and say my brother because that's just literally all family but um, I don't know I'd have to think about that last one two more seats with kids there you two go. more seats with kids obviously but look the reason we look there's lots of people from, from outside in business that you'd pick but if you're asking me to pick people that I would want there who've helped me the most in the last few years um, and particularly since I left the golf club yeah I wouldn't choose anyone else other than the people who are closest to me Absolutely. Andy McLaughlin, thank you very much for your time. It's been really, really insightful, this one. Looking forward Pleasure. to meeting you soon and, and teeing it up. We are definitely going to arrange soon. a game, Paddy. I'll be in touch to arrange it. Fine, take it easy. Okay, cheers, buddy. That was Enda McLaughlin of P2 Grips trying to line. And as a typical Irish man is self-derogatory about his achievements, but I've got to tell you, he thinks he's five years away from where he wants to be and what he wants to achieve for those brands, those companies. And I gotta say, and uh, take a look, take a look at where you are now. And I've got to say, from my eyes and from plenty of other people, uh, you have achieved something monumental thus far. And there's only more to come. Uh, and I'm here, and there's a full community here behind you, uh, supporting you, and waiting for those new products to come out. Um, definitely gotta get my hands on that and um, put green and gates. Anything, anything that you have devised thus far, I use. So, um, absolutely. Um, hopefully, in time for the big man come down the chimney. And if not then definitely will ward off those January blues um, with those products. So, if you've enjoyed that uh, episode with Enda, and indeed the message from the PGA Tour fairies from Seamus, um, leave an old podcast review wherever you listen to your podcast. If you listen to this on the website, throw me an old DM and let me know you listen to it and what you liked about it. We have uh, a segment in the podcast generally each week. Not this week. Um, I, I got a bit busy with, with the old day job. So, uh, there'll be a Q&A going out next week about... Um, how you guys and girls prepare for um, really important rounds of golf or what you foresee, perceive to be really important rounds of golf. So that'll be in the calm, the executive committee section um, next week. And uh, yeah, next week also is the Ladies Irish Open 
back on tour uh, in Dromolin Castle and I will have a couple of tickets to give away. So stay tuned on the socials at paddytalksgolf.com and in tomorrow's Sunday timesheet. All right. Thank you very much. If you do anything after listening to this, please do share the show with your family and friends. Until we teed up again soon, I'm Paddy. Thank you.